This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nabil Biagio and here's what's coming up. And then the supply chain has been affected as well in terms of prices of things. As a result, uh, not just of the COVID, but as a result recently of the uh, war in Eastern Europe. That's Malawi's president, Lazarus Chakwera, talking about the challenges facing his country. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. World leaders who have been meeting in New York since last week are wrapping up the 77th session of the United Nations General Assembly. VOA UN correspondent Margaret Bashir tells me world leaders focus on a number of themes. Predominantly among them are the war in Ukraine, climate change and global food insecurity. Thing in the spotlight this year is Russia's war in Ukraine, and that uh, got a lot of the headlines and a lot of the attention. Um, lots of concern this week because President Putin, in the middle of, of the week, uh, announced he was mobilizing 300,000 more Russians to go fight in Ukraine. He uh, alluded to the fact that he's willing to use nu- nuclear weapons in the conflict. And um, so he, he raised a lot of concerns here. So I think that was one of the main uh, highlights in a way because everybody's very worried about it. But then I would say that there were also a lot of things that were going on that maybe didn't steal the headlines and things that are good for Africa. And I would uh, point to the meeting they had on Thursday on the Sahel. The Secretary General convened that with leaders from the region. And uh, he advocated for... Uh, the international community rethinking its approach, finding bold new solutions to the situation, and just going really beyond existing efforts to try and uh, contain the problem there, because he said it's going to be a global threat if nothing is done about the effects of of, um, terrorism and extremism in the Sahel. And also we heard a lot on climate change, on uh, Security Council reform. And uh, one of the good things that was done that will have repercussions in Africa is that more than $14 billion was raised for tuberculosis, malaria, and HIV. And uh, the United States gave two ni- uh, almost $3 billion to uh, help alleviate the global food crisis. And another item which may have gone under the radar is there's this oil tanker in Yemen, and it's been the subject of uh, disagreements between the Houthi rebels there and the exiled government of Yemen. And uh, this week, a goal of $75 million was reached to extract a million barrels of oil that's sitting on this creaky old tanker. It's like 40 years old, and it could leak into the Red Sea. And if it did, it would cause an environmental catastrophe. The U.N. says would cost $20 billion to clean up. Uh, I see. And like you mentioned, climate change um, uh, was high on the agenda, food relief, especially for Africans, and which is also in, in many ways linked to the war in Ukraine. And many African leaders who spoke throughout the whole of last week and held meetings on the sidelines of the main event. Uh, if you were to point out uh, one overriding issue on the African agenda, if you wish, uh, something that kept coming up as African leaders spoke and met. Well, I think it really is this concept of the food, fuel, and financial crisis. It started during the COVID-19 pandemic. Countries, including in Africa, are trying to recover from it, and then bang, comes the war 
in Ukraine. And since Ukraine and Russia are huge food and uh, fertilizer suppliers to the global market, this has really crippled a lot of countries economically and in getting um, certain food items. And so this definitely, we heard this from everybody. And uh, yes, and finally, uh, Margaret, what are the prospects of getting some action done to address uh, some of those issues, especially uh, climate change, uh, uh, pollution, and and other issues that predominantly featured um, as African leaders spoke at the event? Well, in a few weeks, in, in early November, leaders will meet in Egypt for what's called COP27. That's the Climate Review Conference, and they're going to review the Paris Climate Agreement and are we, how close are we to reaching the targets set out in that agreement? We're not close, actually. You know, things are warming faster than they should be. Uh, the alarm bells are ringing. So I think uh, we'll hear a lot more about climate change in a few weeks when leaders meet in Egypt. That was VOA reporter Margaret Bashir. She spoke with me from New York a short time ago. Malawi's President Lazarus Jaguera says his country faces a number of challenges as his government as his government works to lift its economy. He sat down for an interview with VOS Peter Clody on the sidelines of the United Nations General Assembly in New York, which ends this week. If you don't produce or what you produce, you do not add value and you export raw material rather than get involved in real industrialization particularly in the field of agriculture, because basically we are an agro-based, even though now we are expanding and diversifying to look at other means, then you are at the mercy of forces that do not enable you to produce the forex you need to purchase things. Now, there's been several uh, factors, factors that have rendered us unable to have the forex we need. A debt situation that we inherited, which forces us to uh, give a lot of forex in payment. We have, like I said, not been able to produce as much. A lot of uh, industries were affected even by COVID-19 pandemic. And so that affected that. And then the supply chain has been affected as well in terms of prices of things as a result, uh, not just of the COVID, but as a result recently of the uh, war in Eastern Europe. And so what we would, for example, uh, pay for fuel that would be consumed in three months, it's now the same amount in three weeks. And so that has put pressure on everything that we do. And uh, I'm glad to say that now the fewer situation has stabilized because we had to uh, really go out of our way uh, to say this is a priority that needs to be uh, responded to immediately. And uh, we are being we'll be looking at the other things which we uh, have also set a plan. So when you talk about food and fuels and and, uh, fertilizers, for example, uh, that require forex uh, uh, a lot, um, we are doing what we can do in the meanwhile. But 
in the middle to long term, the plan is the same. Mechanize agriculture, commercialize agriculture, and have many uh, agro-processing factories. So when we diversify our production, and right now we're talking about engaging uh, or going into mega farms. Now, Mr. President, you've had a series of protests by civil society groups sometimes. Some of your opposition uh, supporters have been protesting. Do you think their criticisms and their protests are justified? Because some people are saying you promised that you are in a haste to develop Malawi, to improve the living conditions of Malawi. Yes. They said you are not doing fast, you are not doing fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> How do you respond to that? This is, this is um, uh, from their vantage point, uh, uh, perhaps a valid point. But you have to understand that we are building institutions. And we are building such institutions that will be able to operate independently and operate according to their mandate and able to deliver services. And when you have pretty much found a broken system and those that have been benefiting from the same will resist any and every type of change you want to bring forward. But the Constitution is clear. People have a right uh, to voice out whatever they feel like voicing out and even uh, assemble and demonstrate. Uh, it has to be done within the constitutional uh, parameters that are given, and I let them do that, express that. There are those that uh, then I would invite uh, to say, can we talk about this, can we talk about this, and people that are able to engage with me, or I'm able to engage with them, the CSOs and others, and there are many groups, not just those. People understand where we're coming from, where we are, and where we're headed. That was President Lazarus Jacquero of Malawi. He was speaking with my colleague Peter Cloti in New York. Uganda says 16 people in the country are now infected with Ebola, while another 18 likely have the disease. According to Reuters, the Minister of Health also said four people have died of Ebola, while another 17 dead were likely infected. Dr. Amash Adalja, an infectious disease expert with the Johns Hopkins Center for Global Health, who is also an infectious disease physician, tells VOA's Carol Van Damme that Ebola begins with flu-like symptoms after an incubation period that can last up to 21 days. starts out with fevers, chills, muscle aches and pains, sore throat. And what happens during that period of time is that the person's body is being infected with the virus, and eventually that infection affects the blood vessels and people's blood pressure will plummet. They may have very severe vomiting, diarrhea. Uh, they, they may, in certain cases, have massive interference with the ability of their blood to clot. And this can have a fatality rate that uh, ranges in the 60, 70 percent ballpark, depending upon how quickly people are linked to treatment. So it is a very severe illness. Talk about the situation, if you can, about what's happening in Uganda. How does it spread? Ebola is a, a very scary and a very deadly disease, but it's not very contagious. It requires 
blood and body fluid exposure. So this is going to be close contact amongst family members, uh, amongst people with healthcare workers, for example, if someone goes to a village health center and has, has symptoms of Ebola, those healthcare workers, if they're not wearing personal protective equipment, can get infected. It's, it's really about making sure people have the appropriate personal protective equipment to take care of patients. And that usually is what's able to stop uh, Ebola outbreaks once they understand how people are getting infected and, and put public health measures into place. And Recall that Uganda is a place that's no stranger to Ebola outbreaks. They've had them in the past, so they know how to do this. It's a question of getting all of those resources mobilized in a time when a lot of public health resources have been diverted towards COVID-19. So what should Ugandan authorities and those in neighboring countries, for that matter, be doing to prevent this Ebola strain from spreading? The first thing they need to do is increase awareness. People have to be cognizant of the fact that this virus is spreading in Uganda, and countries that border Uganda should be on the lookout for cases that may or may not be consistent with Ebola. They also have to demystify this disease to the general public, to stop myths about the virus from spreading, to tell people how you get it, what what protective actions you need to take. They also have to make sure that local health workers have the resources to be able to find cases, to be able to diagnose cases, and to be able to take care of those cases in places where there's less risk of contagion. Traditionally, we've seen healthcare workers get infected with Ebola because they don't have adequate supplies to take care of those patients. That will all be something that's uh, that's needed. What we don't wanna see is draconian measures. We don't wanna see travel bans. We don't wanna see border closures. We don't want people to uh, get in a situation where they're trying to hide Ebola cases like we saw in West Africa. Fortunately, um, Uganda is a place that's had Ebola, so they don't have that same issue, but we have seen a lot of those authoritarian measures and violence occur in West Africa uh, back in 2013-2014, as well as in in the DRC uh, with some outbreaks that have occurred in, in recent years. That's Dr. Amash Adelja, an infectious disease expert with the Johns Hopkins Center for Global Health and an infectious disease physician with the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. He was speaking with my colleague Carol Van Damme from New York Today. A multi-story building collapsed today outside Kenya's capital, Nairobi. The Associated Press says at least three people are dead and rescuers are searching through debris for several people reported missing. Kenya's national broadcaster says it's not clear what caused the collapse in the town of Kriegiti in Karambo County. The news service says the event is not uncommon in the country, which suffers from weak oversight, corruption and poor construction. Kenya's NTV channel says the building was under construction and did not yet have tenants. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, please see voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. South African protesters angry over water shortages shut down part of the country's longest highway with rocky barricades and burning tires. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. Police describe the situation in Fentersburg in the Free State province as volatile. The rural town is a popular refueling and resting place for motorists and truckers traveling on the N1 highway, which stretches from Cape Town in the south to the Bight Bridge border post with Zimbabwe in the north. 
Warrant Officer Lorraine Earle says the Valcom Public Order Policing Unit is on the ground monitoring the situation. She says they have spoken to some of the protesters and asked about their demands. They started this morning to protest. It's uh, because of the water situation in town. It's now for the past few weeks that they don't have water. Members are on the scene. They are monitoring the situation. Um, and nobody was arrested as yet. She says they have had water problems in Fentersburg on and off for the past seven weeks, with no water for the past three weeks. Those using the highway at Fentersburg have been advised to take alternative routes. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Matsai, an alleged senior leader of the Central Africa Republic-based rebel group the Selika, pleaded not guilty today at the International Criminal Court to seven counts of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Saeed is standing trial for crimes he allegedly carried out in 2013 when the Selika took over the capital Bangui. ICC spokesperson Fadi Abdullah tells me the trial is expected to run for months. Today was the opening of the trial and the case against Mr. Uh, Mohammed Saeed Abdurani. Uh, he is a national of the Central African Republic, allegedly um, a former Silica commander, and um, charged with, uh, as you mentioned, crimes against humanity and war crimes, including torture, cruel treatment, and other charges. Um, at the opening of uh, the trial, uh, it's the right of the accused to plead guilty or uh, not guilty. And if uh, he pleads uh, not guilty, then we can proceed with the rest of the proceedings with the opening of the um, prosecutor's case uh, and presentation of evidence. And um, uh, then after that, there is a period for the legal representative of victims and eventually the defense, if uh, the defense wishes to also can call witnesses and present evidence. Uh, naturally, Mr. Uh, Saeed Ablani is uh, benefiting from the presumption of innocence, so the judges uh, can um, convict him for uh, one or more of the charges only if they are uh, convinced beyond any reasonable doubt of uh, his guilt. And if, if there will be a verdict of uh, guilt, then um, before the ICC, there will be a, a phase for the sentencing and eventually for the reparations for the victims. So currently we are still at the beginning of uh, this uh, process uh, of the trial uh, for Mr. Saeed Abrihani. Sure. And just to refresh our memories, he's, he's standing trial for crimes he allegedly uh, carried out in 2013 when the uh, Selica group took over the capital Bangui and ruled for 10 months after the fall of uh, ex-president of the CAR, Francois uh, Buzizi. Uh, yes, the uh, crimes against humanity and what crimes uh, for which he is uh, charged were allegedly committed in Bangui in the Central African Republic in 2013, yes. And uh, Mr. Karim Khan, the chief prosecutor today, sounded very confident that uh, Mr. Saeed is going to be convicted on uh, on those counts, uh, torture, um, you know, and, and other crimes. Have we seen evidence being presented yet? No, today was the opening, uh, so we are still in the opening statements uh, phase. And uh, Mr. Uh, Karim Khan, the ICC prosecutor, was also very clear that it would be for the judges to decide on the uh, merits in this case. And finally, of course, this is going to be a months-long uh, trial, 
and process. What is expected to happen in the coming months? Uh, several months, actually, because uh, for now there is, uh, I think, 43 witnesses that are scheduled to appear called by the prosecutor. And, of course, the defense can also put questions to them. And so uh, the representative of victims, if they are authorized, and the judges eventually. And then, as I mentioned, there will be also a phase for the representative of victims to um, transmit to the judges the preoccupations and concerns and points of use of the victims in regarding, uh, regarding that case. And eventually uh, for the defense later on as well to call witnesses and present evidence. So the um, process can be uh, lengthy and uh, take time uh, to make sure that all the rights of everyone um, are fully respected and that uh, all the light can be uh, shed uh, to demonstrate the reality of what happened uh, and about these charges. That's ICC spokesperson Fadi Abdullah. He was speaking with me from The Hague this past hour. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. The World Food Program says debris from a drone strike struck one of its trucks carrying humanitarian aid in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region. Reuters News Service says the incident happened Sunday near an area called Zana Woreda, injuring the driver and causing minor damage to the truck. The WFP did not say if the incident would lead to the suspension of food distributions in the area. The agency was providing relief to internally displaced people in the area. It also said no food aid has been delivered to Tigray since the resumption of fighting in late August. Reuters reports that two humanitarian aid workers said shelling disrupted operations by another relief agency in Tigray. The UN says 13 million people in the region and in neighboring Amhara and Afar need food assistance. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biajo in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. On behalf of engineer John Dryden and producer Mukbil Yaboro, thank you again for tuning in and for choosing the Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. 
You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Carol Castiel VOA or on Twitter at Carol Castiel VOA. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 